0: case number 22-7148 the deal abdel balance versus george washington university et al miss abdel for the appellant, mr emmy for the police
1: good afternoon council miss i think so i think in the afternoon now miss <laughs> Abdelhadi, please proceed when you're ready
2: thank you your honor and good afternoon I believe this case will be uh, different from the last. It's not that complicated. May it please the court. My name is Hadil Abdelhadi. I am the appellant in this case, and I'm here on my own behalf. I'd like to reserve, please, three minutes for rebuttal. Thank you. Uh, This case, uh, the law in this case is straightforward, but the record, I think, has been muddled somewhat over the course of this appeal. So what I'd like to do with this time is to, of course, address any questions that the court has, and also to, reiterate the relief that I am seeking and why the court should grant that relief. And also I'll be discussing the Hubbard um, case and its factors, um, although I think those are well known. But I do want to clarify some facts and distinguish between what is before the court and what is not before the court uh, in the course of discussing Hubbard. I am asking this court to do two things. First, to reverse the district court's order on appeal. And second, to enter an order or to direct the district court to place under seal the 16 documents that are an issue that contain the medical information that is an issue. That relief is appropriate in this case, unlike most of the cases, in fact, I think it's all of the cases that have been discussed in my brief in uh, the university's reply um, or its brief in my reply. Um, the court in this case, the district court, did not at all apply Hubbard. We have an eight-line-minute order uh, in this court's cases from Hubbard and in the 40 years since, the unbroken line of cases amplifying and reinforcing that rule, where the court here has found that the district court has not adequately addressed the Hubbard factors or any one of them in some cases. The remedy, the action, has been to remand to reverse the district court. In this case, we have something different, which is no discussion of Hubbard whatsoever. We have an eight-line minute order dealing with 16 documents. Uh, So reversal is the appropriate uh, first step in this case. In terms of my asking the court to essentially end this case here by directing the district court to place the documents under seal, that too is appropriate, and it's uh, warranted under precedent. Uh, in the case of Hardaway, for example, which did involve medical information and a medical report, I believe the language was there. Uh, this court directed the district court to place the documents under seal. This court also prospectively made the same directive with respect to future filings i 'm not asking for that. I am talking only here about the filings that were made by the university in September of two thousand
0: twenty two uh, in Hardaway so, again, yes. In your argument about Hubbard, would you agree that district court doesn't have to cite to Hubbard uh, for its, you know, analysis to be sustained on appeal? As, if, as long as its analysis covers the factors implicated or relevant in that case, that would be sufficient.
2: Sure. I am not <laughs> suggesting that this is a matter. Of of a perfunctory citation or a missing citation. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking in substance of the contents of the district court's orders. It's eight
0: lines. It makes a reference to- There were eight lines and it were covered. Again, I'm just saying, it's, I, I, don't, I, I think we have to focus on the substance. Sure. Um, and not whether it used particular words. If we see that it made, it considered the types of considerations that are outlined in Hubbard, and, and, and you have arguments that that didn't happen here in those eight lines. Um, but if it, if the court had um, covered everything that's implicated, that would be sufficient.
2: Um, I I believe yes, it would be sufficient so long as in substance the district court applied the Hubbard framework and provided a full explanation. The district court did not
0: do that here. Okay, so yes, what, what's missing? Which Hubbard factor, When we look at these lines here, which Hubbard factors were not considered? Um, what, what are the Hubbard flaws in this?
2: Okay. Well, first, there is no discussion of the public need,
0: the first Hubbard factor. The district court states here. The public need for. To access the document. I know, but that's not one that helps you. (laughs) That's not a factor that's in favor of a ceiling, so I'm not sure why that would matter to you.
2: Well, um, I, I, I do believe that it does matter to me, because it is a Hubbard factor, and the public does, is it's a strong presumption, of course, in favor of public access. But we have to remember also the purpose of the public access doctrine, which is to enable the public to monitor the business of the courts, the quintessential business being orders and other communications, judges, decisions, et cetera. Um, and so the question is, what does the public need? And in the Hubbard case itself, the court discussed um, what use the public would have for the documents that were an issue in that case. Uh, in EEOC, for example, involving National Children's Center, the court discussed a consent decree that the district court sealed and discussed the fact that the public would have need to access that sealed consent decree uh, because it involved the enforcement by a federal agency and a the National Children's Center, a provider of important services. So it is not, Although the presumption of public access is strong, it is not a given that the public will have access to everything and the court was required to consider public need. And most recently in in-ray LA times, this court made that clear.
0: So how, the- how is there not, this is a tort case for medical injuries, uh, for for injuries, physical injuries um, and and related matters. And how is the public, how is that factor going to favor you in a way that it would make sense to remand for the district court to address that factor since the public would, you know, if the court is going to, as your complaint requests, if it were to award damages against a hospital um, for engaging uh, for, for, for asserted negligent behavior or other sort of a violations that you enumerate in your complaint, isn't the public necessarily going to need to know to some extent what those those injuries for which compensation was awarded are so they can know whether this was, you know, was the court performing in its adjudicatory role in a sensible manner.
2: Yes, I understand that. Um, The public here in the redacted complaint at ECF number 14, which is the only version that district court reference, The public does here in the public redacted complaint have as much information as it needs to understand that one count, which you're referring to, which is the negligence count. Mm -hmm. The others are intentional acts counts, not negligence counts, have nothing to do with these injuries. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I have redacted is not wholesale redaction. I have not placed it under seal entirely. I have redacted diagnoses. I have redacted um, uh, names of providers. I have redacted essentially information
0: that would appear in a medical record. Is the diagnosis not going to be relevant to the damages sought and calculated?
2: Well, if the case goes forward, this case was now at the point in in an order that came after the order that is on appeal here. Uh, The court dismissed that negligence claim, not in consideration of any injury, whether it occurred, liability, anything like that. No, the court dismissed uh, some of the claims. Or let me speak just about the negligence claim. It granted the university summary judgment in reliance on its interpretation of the District of Columbia Workers' Compensation Act that had nothing whatsoever to do with whether these injuries occurred.
0: So the public, yes, does have a right of access. But you were the one who filed the motion to seal and and we disagree with that summary judgment decision, but at the time you filed your motion to seal, which was long before the summary judgment. That's correct, it was
2: about a month before.
0: Right, so what would the argument be that the public would not have um, an interest in uh, understanding exactly what the injuries were before a court of law award.
2: Well, because the summary, the the court's memorandum order, the dispositive order, and the uh, accompanying opinion does not discuss any of those injuries. It has nothing to do with them. And in fact, the district court confirmed that by redacting from its own memorandum opinion that it issued on November 29th, the very information that is an issue here. The public knows from the complaint the circumstances of the accident, it knows other details about the accident and the injuries, that it doesn't know, for example, on what date or in what month plaintiff went to which provider for treatment for X injury. And I think the court should also consider my uh, interest here in terms of privacy and the prejudice to me as the court considered the same thing in Hardaway. We are talking about detailed information. Yes, it is contained in the complaint. But What public interest is there in having those details And the court should also take into consideration that we are talking today, unlike in the Hubbard 1980 time, we are talking about electronic access to records by anyone anywhere in the world, including through parties who sell court records. So why should anyone anywhere in the world have access to these details when it's not necessary to understand the nature of the allegations and the claims? You know, the, the court in the Supreme Court, for example, in the Nixon case stated that the court's dockets are not reservoirs, whether it be for libelous um, content or uh, to satisfy any morbid interest, and it's not tabloid material. Uh, So there is no reason still that the public has, for the purpose of the public access doctrine, to to monitor the judiciary, to know the details of plaintiffs' uh, um, uh, injuries or any diagnoses that were made. And again, I have not concealed from the public uh, the information that is needed to understand that first negligence count. That has not been concealed. I, and I'd like to, oh, I'm sorry.
1: There's um, a sentence in the minute order. I guess it's uh, the fourth fourth line. Uh, it says, on the court's review, those documents contain no medical records or details that the plaintiff herself does not already mention in the redacted amended complaint. Do you believe that that statement is factually correct?
2: No, I believe it's factually incorrect. And I've discussed that, uh, in the, um, brief and in the reply brief, but it's discussed in the brief that is factually incorrect.
1: If it is factually, let's assume for the sake of argument that it is factually incorrect. Then, your position in that that demonstrates an abuse of discretion.
2: Yes, it does.
1: And um, then regardless of whether Hubbard is cited or analyzed or all of the factors of Hubbard were considered properly, I assume it's your argument that to the extent the district court relied on and inaccurate assessment of the facts. Um, It's an abuse of discretion, even if the district court kind of understood Hubbard completely.
2: Yes, Judge Wilkins, I would agree with that. And I would add to it uh, record facts that the order where it says medical records, three sentences up or two sentences up, the district court sealed one document because it contained medical provider names. That document is not a medical record. And yet it denies, as to the rest of the documents, because they are not medical records. So that is an internally inconsistent aspect of that. It is inconsistent, by the way, with the district court's June and July 2022 orders sealing the very information that is an issue here. Uh, And that seal remains, except with a big hole in it that GW blew into this. Um, And it is also inconsistent with the district court's December 1st order granting my motion to redact from its first version of its memorandum that is electronically available, uh, the same references to the conditions or the diagnoses that are discussed. So I would agree with your honor and add those record facts. My time is up and I'd like to add, if I may, one more thing that's important here. There is Hubbard, there is the abuse of discretion, but there's also the issue that the documents, all of them that were generated in the DOES um, were filed without authorization. These are documents that, pursuant to that agency's policy and procedure, were not public. In the district court, with my motion to seal, I filed, um, I believe it was 10 exhibits, and a number of those addressed the fact that they were not public documents. I also uh, filed a copy of the D.C. Court of Appeals docket sheet that, by the way, had nothing whatsoever to do with merits of any claim or any case. No adjudication of merits has ever occurred here. Uh, But I filed that docket sheet showing that the case was sealed and that these documents were sealed. So I would just add, I know I'm out of time, but under in ray sealed cases involving the FEC, university here is the FEC. It is filed without authorization, and this court should, as an FEC, reverse on that basis. It should overturn that
0: filing. Do you want to talk about jurisdictional
2: uh, appeal? Yes, thank you. Um, Your Honor, when this appeal is taken... Uh, the four defendants were still in the case. Um, I appealed under the collateral order doctrine. This is collateral to the merits, um, and that remains the case. Now, of course, subsequently, what happened is that um, the memorandum opinion that we were talking about of November uh, was entered. And after that, in March of 2023, the two remaining defendants, against whom only two negligence claims were asserted, nothing else. Um, They were dismissed from the action without prejudice under Rule 41A2, that is by court order. Uh, Now, there is a second appeal from the district court, and uh, in that second appeal, the question of jurisdiction was raised by this court, Uh, the court entered an order in July dismissing, the panel did. I have filed a petition for rehearing, uh, but My position in this appeal, and this is discussed in the reply brief, is that when this appeal was taken, it was appealable under the collateral order. How do you fit within
0: the Supreme Court's decision in Mohawk um, that requires um, us to find, first of all, to identify what the category of information is that's subject to collateral review, um, and to be very, very demanding and exacting In doing so, and so, what is the category of information that you say is subject to collateral review here?
2: Well, the category of information is the medical information.
0: It can't be medical information. Can't be the category. Um, uh, You know, I see you wear glasses. That's a medical condition, but that's not something that could be sealed. It's publicly known and available. And and your complaint has some details about your medical injuries that you aren't claiming should be sealed. And then there were others that you claim that you wish to, other aspects that you wish to have sealed. So we couldn't define the category as medical information. So I'm trying to understand, to apply the Mohawk analysis, we have to first understand what is the category that you're saying is subject to collateral review? What category of information has to be reviewed collaterally?
2: Well, I I, I want to, It's possible that I'm not understanding your question on Mohawk and the category, but then I would give you a subset of medical, and I will give you a second. The subset, and that's what we're dealing with here, is information that comes or that has its source as a medical. It is one thing to observe that I wear glasses. It is one thing for the complaint, for example, to refer to a visibly bruised left arm. It is another thing entirely the information that I'm talking that is an issue here, and that I have sealed, and that is information that is sourced in a medical record. And so I would define that as one of the categories. The other, of course, is that there are documents Everything that's in a medical
0: record. Is your category? That's one of the two categories. Nothing in the public record of this case, stuff that you have not asked to be sealed, that is also contained in a medical record. That's right. What I have asked to
2: seal. Again, if you look at my brief at pages four oh, there's
0: gonna be a medical record that you were injured on such and such a date. I'm sorry? The, the medical record will include that you were injured on such and such a date and such and such a place in such and such an incident, and that is not something you're seeking to have sealed. That's in your redacted complaint.
2: Yeah, let me let me actually restate my subcategory because I think I understand. No, no, I I understand. I, I, I wanna I get your point and you are correct. That information would appear, appear in a medical record. I'm not concerned about that's not the information mm-hmm. I'm talking about diagnoses. I'm talking about provider names. I'm talking about, you know, the progression of an injury that is discussed in the, that is not information that is
0: revealed in the, in the public version. Okay. And that is, if we had to write an opinion, the first thing we have to do is say we have jurisdiction and we would have to articulate in an opinion, what category of medical information it is, that if we were to agree with you that is subject to collateral order review and we think I think you're agreeing at this point that it's not all medical information. It's not even all medical record information. And so how would you, if we handed the pen to you to write the opinion, say here is the cat. Here's a subset of medical information. Um, that has that you know it has a privacy value of great importance uh, to the public. Uh, enough, that Mohawks has an order of the you know, interest of the highest order um, that should be subject to collateral media.
2: Um Well, I would say that it is information again that would be in a medical record that is a diagnosis that discusses treatment, that discusses provider names, that discusses dates, that discusses, um, you know, one injury in particular. And I think, you know, I'm not going to mention it, but mm-hmm. um, that was a protracted matter. Um, And so those types of information I would uh, define as the category. Um, I am not, you know, obviously there is a claim here that is a negligence claim and something happened right? and I have to discuss that and the public should be able to access that. But again, anything that I have not revealed in the redacted amended complaint at ECF 14 is that category now I don't know that that gives you the definition or category that you want and I understand you're referring to Mohawk but I would also refer to the Diab case uh, that I cite in the brief where there was a question about videotapes for example that was a very different context but Guantanamo Bay detainee videotapes and there the court determined that that was um, a matter over which the court had jurisdiction uh, under the collateral order doctrine, notwithstanding the fact that those same videotapes were relevant to the merits uh, in that particular case. So I don't know. I I mean, I, I don't know if Your Honor is asking to
0: have a completely separable category I'm uh, well, not allowed to decide it case by case. I can't have a case-specific description. The Supreme Court has said that, so that's why I'm struggling with the category here.
2: Okay. Well, I would I would say that it's uh, the medical information subset that is diagnosis, treatment, providers, details that the public does not need to understand why this claim has been brought and that has not been revealed. I would add the second category, which is that there are documents that were not public pursuant to agency policy. We are dealing here with a workers' compensation scheme where medical information, financial information, other information will by necessity be included, and that's why they are afforded those protections. And the filings here were made in violation of that and in violation of another court's dealing order, and that's the DC Court of Appeals.
1: Can I understand that you, you attach the order of the District of Columbia Court of Appeals that um, granted uh, what appears to have been a consent emergency motion to seal the agency record, and it says, which contains personal identifying information as well as medical reports. Um, And it says the entire agency record is hereby sealed. Is there a local law or regulation that the D.C. Court of Appeals was operating pursuant to?
2: Um, The D.C. Court of Appeals did not uh, cite one, nor did I. Uh, No, actually, let me take a step back. It's not in the record. Um, I did file a motion, and I should say the consent was with the D.C. government, with the Office of Attorney General, who was representing by the agent, not with the George Washington University. GW didn't oppose, and he was a full-fledged participant as an intervener. Um, But... I believe, and I and I don't want to commit to this because I'm now working from memory, but I believe that in my motion, I cited as I did in the district court here uh, medical privacy regulations, federal, District of Columbia, and state, because there were two, I believe, two Maryland medical providers that were also involved here, uh, and so those I believe were cited, and I'd have to go back and look at my motion uh, to to confirm that, but. Um, I think the District the the Court of Appeals um, took that into consideration. I have to assume so. And I should add, if I may, that the entire case is sealed. And I filed the D.C. Court of Appeals case, that is. I filed in the District Court with the motion to seal an exhibit that is one of the docket pages from that um, case. And it says in red that it's sealed. There was no dispute as to that. The university chose not to address
1: it. Let me ask you a different question on jurisdiction. Why is this something that can't be remedied after final judgment?
2: Uh, because there is an injury right now. The documents that were filed without authorization remain uh, on the public docket. Information that is sealed remains on the public docket. There is one word in particular, and this is discussed, I believe, at page four or five of my opening brief, that refers to a diagnosis. It appears 25 or some something like that times in the university's documents that it filed. Meanwhile, in June and July of 2022, I followed the procedures, and I requested that those that information be sealed. The court granted those motions. So what the university did was, without leave, to diminish the rights that I obtained uh, in June and July, and to diminish further the rights that I relied on um, owing to DC uh, DOES policy and procedure and also the D.C. Court of Appeals sealing. So there is an injury. It has it started in September of 2022, and it persists today. And I would also ask that if the court does remand um, to the district court, I would ask that the court direct the district court to place these documents under seal pending final resolution of the issue or the case. Is it your
0: view that that we have to seal something just because uh, a local agency? Or a state court sealed it. They sealed the entire case, not the smaller categories of information you're talking about. That's
2: right. The entire case was sealed. Right. Um, well, this court's rules, under this circuit's rules, if a matter is sealed in the district court or in an agency, then it's sealed in this court. Those are federal.
0: I'm talk- here, you're talking here about the district, sort of, the line of state for these purposes, we have a federal common law right of access to judicial records that we have to queue to and can't be controlled by. However, states might want to define their own privacy records or right of access, common law right of access to judicial records. But the fact that something was sealed somewhere else doesn't mean that it has to be sealed here. You have to make the same kind of showing and for our purposes, you have the same kind of Mohawk argument um, to even have jurisdiction to make that showing.
2: Well, um, Your Honor, whether the federal court must defer or continue uh, state sealing, the reality is here that these documents were generated in a particular
0: agency, and when well, you go to that agency, you go to the D.C. Court of Appeals, and say you know hold them in contempt or whatever. That's a different that's a different issue. We're not here to enforce. D.C. employment agency, D.O.E.S. rules. That's not our job. That's not the nature of your action. Sure. And so you haven't sought an injunction or mandamus or anything like that, even assuming you could do it. Um, and so I'm not quite sure what to do with the argument. These things were sealed somewhere else. And so it was a violation not to seal them here. There's plenty of times things are sealed elsewhere, even including in district courts, where this court will go, well, that was way too much sealing, and we're not going to enforce it.
2: Um, Well, I want to clarify my argument. It's not that this court is bound, or the district court was bound by the sealing order. It is that that sealing order pertained to the George Washington University's conduct. It was a party in those cases or that administrative matter, and the only reason it had the documents that it filed is because it was a party. Now it claims that it could access them under FOIA. This is a new argument. It's not accurate. Uh, the university also now states that the documents have been public since September of 2022 when it filed them. So it's benefiting, it wants to benefit from filing them. The question here is about GW's conduct in uh, filing them. A party, just because this is a federal court and this has not been briefed, and maybe it should be if it's a point of interest, but uh, a party, you know, a, a court sealing order or an agency's policy has to mean something even in a federal system, if it originates in a state or in the district. Otherwise, what, a party comes into the federal court and a sealing order or an agency policy becomes meaningless?
0: I mean, you violated state law and you go to state court or back to the state agency to impose sanctions, but that's that's a different question from what you're asking here, I should think. Well,
2: I don't think it's uh, irrelevant under this court's law. I mean, again, I'll go back to the in ray sealed cases. Uh, and the FEC. Uh, sure, it was a federal agency, but what this court examined is whether the FEC filed without authorization. Now, that matter was governed by the FE, uh, the Federal Election Campaign Act and by the implementing regulations that were very clear. But that was a source of authority that governed the conduct in that case. And in the FEC, the court did not reach Hubbard because it decided that the filing itself was not authorized. Here, we have agency policy and procedure. I have a reliance interest, and I have a reliance interest as well on a DC Court of Appeals sealing matter. And so I believe that this court should look to the policy, to uh, the sealing order, sealing the whole case, as a source of authority. Is it like the FICA? No, but it is a source of authority. Uh, this, the federal courts also don't disregard uh, state law. Uh, simply because it's a different system. I would add as well, you know, that in the District of Columbia, there is also a right of public access. It is not that the District of Columbia Court of Appeals operates in secrecy. Okay. It is that it recognized a legitimate interest in restricting that can, access. Can
1: I just clarify something? So is it your position that whatever was ordered, sealed by the District of Columbia Court of Appeals, cannot be publicly filed in the U.S. District Court.
2: I'm not going to state that as my position as a...
1: Well, well, just let me ask a different question. Is there anything that was ordered, sealed by the District of Columbia Court of Appeals that you have publicly filed in the U.S. District Court or in our court?
2: Um, let me, um, just, I, I, want to say the answer is no, I'm quite sure it is, but I don't want to misinform you or, or misspeak. So, uh, in the DC district court, no, I did not file, uh, any document that was under seal, nor did I file any OES document. Uh, and in this court, the only document that I have filed, um, well, actually, this is not true. I filed the docket sheet of the DC court of appeals case. So that's what I filed in support of my motion to seal pages of that, which you cannot access via the Court of Appeals. But it is known that there was a case. Um, And in this court, of course, I filed with the reply brief a copy of the Court of Appeals order uh, sealing the agency record, which is distinct from the whole case being sealed. And I did that because the George Washington University in its brief claims that there was no such order or suggests that there was no such order.
1: I guess the reason I ask What I'm getting at is the the questions that were, um, about Mohawk and categories. Perhaps I'm confused. I thought that the gist of your argument was that the category here of documents are a category of documents that were, that are protected by local law or by a local court order we can debate whether or not that order or that law is, is too restrictive or not. But I thought that for the Mohawk analysis, it wasn't just documents that, you know, might have some medical information or how you define diagnosis or, or how you kind of chop that up that it, that, that the category here was this is a category of documents that were all um, have been ordered, um, sealed um, by the highest court of the local jurisdiction um, that some of which have been filed in the U.S. District Court. And that's the category uh, when you have kind of um, that category. Then, then that's for, for the categorical analysis, so to speak, of Mohawk, that that's the category. But am I misunderstanding your argument?
2: Um, no, I don't think you are. But I I, I think there is perhaps a gulf here. Um, and maybe I'm misunderstanding the question about Mohawk because the that was a question I think that was raised with the collateral order doc. Um, but in this, if we're dealing with Hubbard, for example, and I don't want to deviate. I'm not trying to try the to question.
1: The okay. To get to Hubbard. Yeah. Have
2: the yeah.
1: And so the question is, is, what is the category of the disorder falls within that is an appropriate category to fall within the narrow collateral order doctrine as defined by Mohawk?
2: Well, I would again answer the subset of the medical and the documents that are an issue here because they were filed without authorization and they are not public. And GW has never, uh, in the district court, uh, shown why the purpose for filing the documents and it has never countered the argument or the exhibits that were filed in support that um, the documents were not public. And, you know, a... I know this circuit's you mentioned the federal jurisdiction. Uh, this circuit's rules speak to agencies and the district court, not federal agencies only. But the sealing order has to mean something. There has to be, and it's not just a matter of going, you know, for contempt or sanctions or whatever the case might be. Uh, so I would again say the categories are the subset of the medical that is not revealed in the amended complaint, and the documents here now. Again, I'm not asking, as in Hardaway, for a prospective, a prospective order here. I'm only speaking about prior filings, um, and I think that that is a confined category.
0: Thank you. We make to, sure there's no additional. I just want to follow up on Judge Wilson's question. When you say, I, I get that you haven't filed, other than the sheet, as you mentioned, any of the documents from this sealed matter, but are any of the facts contained in those documents? are all sealed under this DCCA uh, uh, order are any of those facts made public in your complaint or your filings? Um,
2: I do discuss facts for example uh, that uh, the university in connection with an abusive process and another claim that the university and PMA management through their council were engaged in ex-party communications with the I, I'm also
0: assuming here, maybe I'm wrong, I don't know how the process works, but I'm just assuming that before the workers' compensation, perce- as part of the workers' compensation proceeding, you describe at least at some level your injuries and when they happened and where they happened, um, right? But but, that's right, not- I did, okay, yes, I so did. So there's a lot of material that was sealed by DoEs that are being discussed on the public record here.
2: Um, well, the information is not—it's not that it was sealed by the DoEs. It's just not made public by the DoEs, and it's not—it's
0: not sealed. It's just they it, don't share it publicly.
2: Exactly. It's the D.C. Court that thing. sealed it. I'm
0: sorry. Right. So, so that's a different thing. So, then, but sure. the D.C.C.A. just categorically sealed the entire proceeding, even though lots of those facts appear in your own filings. But it also fi- sealed the agency record. Um, and I understand and, but that agency, right. They, they, I understand Stealing and you're not saying that everything no, I'm sealed not. there should be sealed or should even fall within a category for purposes of Mohawk.
2: Well, yes, but you know, anytime there's a question uh, of whether a document should be sealed or public access should be restricted, it is somehow relevant to the case on the merits or in substance in some way. And in this case, uh, it's no different than, say, in Hardaway, where the disability was relevant to her claim for housing benefits uh, from the D.C. government. Uh, it is not different from the case in MetLife, where there was a question about a designation of a systemically important financial institution, and those were the documents that were an issue. Um, so those were all related to the merits, and they were discussed in the party's filings that were not redacted or sealed. So... My perspective, and I believe the law supports this, is just because a matter is an issue or mentioned in a filing, whether it be a complaint or in another document, it doesn't mean that there is no public access inquiry. Uh, because if that were the case, then there would be a lot fewer public access cases. Uh, you know, I didn't file, for example, my shopping list and say, well, you know, it's irrelevant and I filed it and I want it sealed. It's relevant, of course, but that's true in all of these cases. Um, and this case should be treated no differently.
0: Let me make sure my colleagues don't have, we will give you time, a little time for rebuttal to make sure my
1: colleagues don't have additional questions. Um, Okay. We'll give you a little time for a rebuttal.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you. Good
2: afternoon, Your
3: Honor. Jared Emig on behalf of the Apple George Washington University. Um, Your Honors, uh, George Washington respectfully requests that Judge McFadden's minute order be affirmed. There is no abuse of discretion. Uh, And George Washington again renews its motion to dismiss. Respectfully, this court does not have jurisdiction to hear this appeal. This court has already addressed the issue or not of whether there's a judgment in this case in the subsequent appeal. And this court held under the blue case because there was still this pending claim or pending claim against a defendant that did not receive a dispositive motion relief, means it's not a final judgment. So now we're left with, how does the appellant establish jurisdiction in this court? There's no statutory basis she can rely on. So can you help
0: us with the Mohawk analysis? It does seem to me that there's certain categories of personal medical information Um, that are traditionally kept very private and confidential and protected. Uh Is it your position that Mohawk doesn't protect any medical information ever?
3: It's my position that Mohawk says there must be a conclusive order, which the minute order is a conclusive order. It must resolve an important question separate from the merits, which I think whether or not these records are medical records somehow so it's so intertwined with the merits of this case that we don't have a separate conclusive order.
0: I'm talking about her just medical information, the subset of medical information. Can you just answer me? What is your position? Is it that under Mohawk, no, there's no definable category of medical information? I wouldn't go that far. Okay. Then what definable category of medical information could be subject to review under Mohawk?
3: I think if there is some mass dissemination of medical records in an institution, would, applying a specific case, whether documents or... Are- what?
0: I don't understand. I don't understand what it has to be mass or not. I'm trying to understand what medical information you think would be the type of category that would be subject. I don't care whether it's mass dissemination or a single dissemination.
3: I think some type of medical information that would cause irreparable harm to the patient. That there's a privacy interest that might be-
0: So someone um, someone was a victim of a sexual assault, rape. Right. Is that the type of, that type of, and they obviously in hospital treatment and they diagnosed that this was as a result of, you know, forcible trauma?
3: That would probably be information that would need to be protected and need to be addressed. Because? At level because it's so private. And there's the privacy. And- I don't know how
0: so private is a category. I'm really struggling with what the category should be here. So you're not willing to. Say, your position is not that medical information just doesn't qualify under Mohawk. That there's some category, and I'm trying to get from you how you articulate that category, so we can see how that compares to how she articulates the category.
3: My, my recollection of Mohawk is it does not say question dealing with medical records automatically applies for a collateral. Appeal.
0: It didn't involve medical records, so of course it did not say right. that.
3: That's what I'm it. saying is Mohawk tells us it has to be something important. It can't be appealed ever upon a final judgment, and it involves some question of law. So I envision... It can't be
0: remediated by appeal after a final judgment. Okay, so what is this category of medical information that would fall within that?
3: You know, it would have to be some, you know, I'm trying to come up with some idea that would fit within those Mohawk categories. I mean, if she
0: were to show and to argue that it, the the subset that she's talking about here would result in irreparable injury for ABC reasons, then for you would facts, agree, it sounds like.
3: For these facts, I would not, because there was no medical information being conveyed in those 16 exhibits other than the one joint prehearing statement. If she were to
0: argue irreparable injury and in the district court were to agree with her, I see you would argue there's no irreparable injury, but your category was information, medical information, private medical information that could result in irreparable injury. If she made that showing, then she would, in your view, have the type of category of information that would be subject to review.
3: In this case, no, Your Honor, because.
0: Even if the district court found it was a irreparable injury? would it cause irreparable injury?
3: Because under this case, Ms. Hadi has consistently put within the public spectrum.
0: I'm not I'm asking you to answer a different question. Is if a district if she argued and a district court ruled that disclosure of this subset of information is intimate private medical information not traditionally shared with the public, even in litigation, and disclosure would cause irreparable injury. District Court made those findings after you argued against them. Would you still be here arguing that's an impermissible category for Mohawk purposes?
3: Yes, Your Honor. I don't think it rises. I thought you said
0: that was your category, was a reparable injury.
3: I'm saying there could be a situation where a disclosure of medical records or medical information could rise to the level of reparable injury. I'm saying in this case, we're nowhere.
0: Okay, you're right. We're not not communicating. I said if the district court found a reparable injury, then it would be a Mohawk category. You're sure. saying it shouldn't find it here, but if it did, it would be a Mohawk
1: category. Part of the problem here, and uh, it's not just a problem in your brief, uh, Mr. Inme, but we ordered the parties to brief jurisdiction. And we said in our order from the special panel to not incorporate by reference what you would put in your motion. Um, your brief on page one said, well, we incorporate by reference what was in our motion. And there's no argument in your brief about jurisdiction. And in Pellant's brief, there's no real meaningful argument on jurisdiction. And I guess I just feel like it'd be remiss of me to not um, admonish both of you for not following our orders. So this is important. We need to know whether we have jurisdiction over this appeal or not. My apologies. But yet, but yet, you know, it was something that wasn't deemed important enough to to fully brief, as we asked you to. That, that bothers me.
3: Your Honor, I apologize for that. I think we are cognizant of the page order. We should not have disregarded disregarded your order. Say that we did address it in a motion to dismiss. I believe it's still pending. We should not have referenced it in brief. That I apologize. But I don't think our argument has changed since we filed the pending motion motion to dismiss.
1: So Help me get the answer to Judge Millette's question. What is the category for Mohawk purposes with respect to medical diagnoses or medical information? Are you saying that you're not saying that it's never a collateral order? You're just saying only sometimes it is. Well, when when is it and when is it?
3: Governor, I cannot come up with finite set when it is or when it isn't. What we have here is a typical motion to seal that addresses things that are not medical records, that are documents that were put into place, called into issue by an affidavit that Ms. Hades filed in response to our motions to dismiss, a motion for summary judgment. She opposed those by way of an affidavit contradicted prior affidavit, that contradicted her complaint. In her complaint, in her prior affidavit, she says, I was injured. This was a workers' compensation claim. I filed for workers' compensation benefits. I received benefits. We litigated it. went up through uh, a formal hearing level. The formal hearing was dismissed. That was all in the public record at the stage that we filed our dispositive motion. Ms. Abdelhady filed this second affidavit in support of her opposition to my motions for summary judgment. In that affidavit, she reversed course and said, I wasn't working, this case wasn't subject to workers' compensation. George Washington filed a reply saying that this was tantamount to a sham affidavit because it contradicted her prior affidavit. Judge McFadden agreed with us and he went through explicit detail in his memorandum order stating that that Ms. Ablohady's affidavit was a sham affidavit. In order to prove that her affidavit was a sham affidavit, we needed to put into evidence Workers' compensation documents. That's
1: fine. I guess none of that answers the question, though. I mean, you can you can put classified information into evidence. Whether you can, whether you needed to put it into evidence, has nothing to do with whether that has to be on the public record. And I guess what I'm trying to understand is what is the, the category of medical type of information. That um, the question of whether or not it can be put on the public record is sufficiently important and collateral enough that that's appealable. How do we know it when we see it? I understand you don't think that this case is one of those cases, but we need to know how to identify
3: it. I think if it has identifying insurance information, if it were to have diagnoses, physical, examination results, medications, that type of information. That would rise to the level of something that the court should consider sealing. And that apply the Hubbard. We don't have any of that in this Diagnoses. You agree. Diagnoses, except, except to the extent, and this is the critical point, and I think this is why Judge McFadden's minute order complied with Hubbard, except to the extent that it had already been disclosed. That's
0: not the jurisdictional question.
3: No, Your Honor, and I'm blending. You
0: to go over over there. I'm blending it. We don't even talk about that. We've got jurisdiction. I mean, you represent a hospital that must have enormous amounts of medical information at its hand. And I would think that your client would have a view on whether, Someone can compel it to just throw all that stuff into a public record or that there are things that it says, no, no, these things should not be subject to public filing. And if you order me to, I'm going to challenge that on appeal.
3: I guess where I'm having trouble with, and I I understand that the Ms. Abdelhady has created this subset under Mohawk of what would, What would be a permissible interlocutory order? And she says medical records. Okay,
0: I'm locked. Back off that. She started talking about a subset of ones, and I think she included diagnoses, which you just said. You agree the diagnoses
3: as well. That's set forth in a medical record. That might start talking about sufficient questions. Doctor's oral announcement of a diagnosis
0: would not be protected, only the medical record documenting it.
3: But this is where it blends in, and it has to blend in respectfully to the merits of the argument. It
0: can't. <laughs> it can't.
3: I, I don't know how else. Well, we have to decide whether we have
1: jurisdiction before we get to the merits. So by, we, we can't blend jurisdiction and the merits. We have to define what's appealable and what's not without looking ahead to the merits.
3: But she is not requesting in this case that a medical record be sealed, and that this court has jurisdiction to address the issue of whether or not a medical record is sealed. She submitted 16 exhibits; none of them are medical records. They're just not. The only one that had reference to physicians was the one that Judge McFadden actually sealed. So, what are we left with? We're left with: is there jurisdiction for this court? grant an interlocutory appeal on a personal injury case when there's evidence on the record of a workers' compensation case, and we can't. Mohawk says this is not a case-by-case
0: determination. So whatever happened in this case doesn't matter. And now I'm trying to get back to the point that she said diagnoses, you said diagnoses. Some of the sealed information here is of a diagnosis but that information is now, or some of the information that she wishes to have sealed is of a diagnosis. If you agree on that circle, then the district court um, would have, may, may have erred. on, you would have to be telling me they aired because you think diagnoses
3: is a category. I look at, and I think I'm blending, what may be sealable, what may generate an appeal under Mohawk. It may be sealable, in district report if it's medical record making reference to a diagnosis as opposed to another document that references the diagnosis. They're two different things. When I look at Mohawk and it says the order must be inclusive, it must resolve important questions separate from the merits, and most importantly, it must be effectively unreviewable on appeal. And I, I use Mohawk from that perspective.
0: Okay so if diagnoses are just not supposed to be out there that's something people are entitled to keep private not put on the public record for the world to see that's not going to be effectively reviewable on appeal after a trial when it's all put out there in the public and nowadays it's electronically available to many people it's not going to be it's it's not going to be review, reversible it's not going to be remediable on appeal
3: I disagree your honor I'm talking about a diagnosis contained in a medical record. I know we can't go case by case, but Your Honor did bring an element into that. Every personal injury case makes allegations about duty, breach, and injury. That's in there, and that's what Ms. Haiti did in this case. Her diagnosis is all over the records. She filed the original complaint. It was unsealed for almost a month. Uh, unsealed complaint, in addition to all the torturous activity that she's alleging my client did, she specifically alleges all of her injuries I'm out of time, all of her injuries, medical providers that care It's all in there. And then when she sealed her complaint and her amended complaint, she continued to talk about her injuries, her bruises, her hematoma, where she treated. So the fact that there's diagnosis in something other than a medical record, not a violation of, I don't see a violation of Hubbard right away, it's distinguishable of way, and I don't see it as giving grounds for a basis under Mohawk to file an interlocutory appeal. Make sure my colleagues don't have additional questions for you. Thank you, Thank you Mr. Embeck.
1: We'll give you two minutes for rebuttal.
2: Thank you. i mean, looked at Mohawk again <laughs> try to understand. Um, I, I would, just back on Mohawk and jurisdiction, and Your Honor, I, I take your point um, about not addressing it in the brief, and this is not to comment on the quality of the uh, discussion. That's obviously for the court to decide, but um, the opening brief of the appellant did discuss jurisdiction, um, so I just wanted to note that. Um, in terms of the Mohawk, it's my understanding in that case that the uh, of attorney-client privilege was not um, reviewable because there was no irreparable injury, that that could be addressed after review uh, or adjudication on the merits. In this case, we're not talking about that privilege. And again, I would keep my subset at the subset of medical records and the documents in issue here. Um, but here, there is no way to address this after um, uh, adjudication on the merits. In this case, by the way, is stalled. There is nothing happening in the district court right now. It's all in this court. Um, so on the Mohawk, if that's a better understanding of the question, um, I would stick with my subset. But again, say there is irreparable injury. Uh, the university so what your
0: subset again is, you, please do not define it by and things in this case. Sub, can you articulate your subset in a way that would govern other cases as well?
2: OK, um, I would articulate it as information that is universally or generally regarded as private, and that is not necessary for the public to understand, and that is subject to a privilege. I would add this, you know, after a comma. I don't know if it has to be all of those things conjunctive, but that is subject to um, a privilege that is held by the individual, and where there are standards of waiver. By the way, they, you know, they talk about waiver, whether that privilege is waiver. I'm not talking about attorney-client, I'm talking about medical privacy. So maybe those are some general criteria. Um, but I'm not looking to make criteria, and I, I understand the court's interlocutory appeal question, um, but uh, I, I am sticking with the facts in this case. But there is a privilege and there is universal recognition of that private information. The university just, I believe, conceded diagnoses. It stated treatment and medication. The medical information in issue here discusses courses of treatment. It doesn't name a prescription, that there was clearly—that's equivalent to medication. It was to treat the injuries. Um, the university also states that it didn't disclose medical information. That is false, and it's a repetition of a false statement that it's made throughout this case. Again, at uh, my brief on page five, I discussed that the university's uh, filings, including the 16 documents that it screenshotted in some of its replies. Mention one particular diagnosis 25 times, although that was under seal in the district court. in terms of the upper, irreparable injury, you know the primary injury here is not one that's well understood. I believe generally speaking. we don't have expert material on that, um, but again, the public doesn't need to know those details, and in the hardaway case, the court considered the interest specific that the uh, party there had. Uh, I am an attorney. And I think that with one injury in particular, you know, the public doesn't know what happened subsequently, what the course of it is. But I clearly have an interest in not disclosing that and making it available to anyone, any in the world, to read and to make assumptions about no one in the public is going to be making diagnoses or using that for any other purpose. And they know what happened in this case from the public complaint. So I have an interest. George Washington knows that very well. And for whatever reason—not a good reason—that it's articulated continues to publicize this information by putting it on uh, the public docket. Okay. I have to—I apologize. If you have one very brief point, you can make it. But one, one very brief, and I and I thank you for that because the university has again stated that the plaintiff filed a sham affidavit, and I want to point the court to my uh, reply brief at page 12. That is not an accurate narrative. It doesn't cite what that was. Because that's also, injur- you know, that's not something that is, um, that's an injurious state to make, statement to make that someone has filed a sham affidavit and that someone's also a lawyer. And I discussed that in detail in my Rule 54B motion. That's not part of this record. It's at 68 But since the university here repeats these claims, which are not accurate, I, I wanted to respond to that. And I thank the court for the additional time.
1: Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Ms. Abel- Abelfady. Thank you, Mr. Amig. Take this case under submission.